Hi, Al Morton here, and welcome to my Takeout Podcast, Running with Trolls and Scoffing Crisps. Coming up in this edition, episode 16, we'll be meeting Kevin and a few Instagram superstars. Poor people should concentrate on buying value brands like pasta. We'll also be following up on the story of the bear that broke into an Italian bakery and scoffed all the biscuits. And we ask the question that is on everyone's lips. Will we need a Geiger counter when shopping in Asta? Now the British government has agreed to import food grown near the Fukushima plant. Another trade deal win with Japan. Up yours, EU, with your ban on radioactive food. It must be true because it's in the Telegraph. Plus, sex with tractors. Is it legal? started, I should explain these podcasts are an audio version of my blog, almorton.com. This article was originally going to be titled, Running with Goats and Picking Lemons in the Sunshine. I know, that sounds way better than my own, but it is the copyrighted material of Jack Munro, who I greatly admire and was unsuccessful in reaching out to. So, you're just going to have to unhear that bit but it's always good to try and get a genuine laugh up front. A bit like the leader of my old jazz trio, who would ask for the applause in advance for the guitarist. Here's the thing. I was perusing Twitter one fine sunny day when I tripped over this item by the now legendary Jack Munro. The name Jack seems to be intentionally ambiguous, but perhaps what is most noteworthy is that she is the author of a series of cookbooks aimed at those who have found themselves on the wrong side of, well, let's just call it what it really is, a state-sanctioned cost-of-living crisis. Jack was replying to someone called Kevin, there's always a Kevin, who had gleefully posted a response to a BBC News article about a nurse who had skipped meals in order to feed her kids. You can buy a big bag of dried pasta... That would feed a family for about 50p. If you shop and cook it properly, you can eat healthy meals really cheaply. Kevin, a 35-year-old self-described opinionated conservative Brexiteer, goes on to say, I would love to see how she spends her salary. You can read Jack's response on his website, cookingonabootstrap.com. But if you follow her links, she recommends checking your blood pressure medication first. Why Kevin felt compelled to dispense advice to low-income families remains a bit of a mystery, and one which I hope to unravel. He had been posting boastful pictures of meals in restaurants, together with the odd bottle of Blossom Hill White Zinfandel. His solution was a no-brainer. It was, of course, magical pasta. Jack delivered a surgical invisceration of this let-them-eat-pasta mindset. However, it did leave me wondering why Kevin and his cohorts felt the need to share, well, anything really. What authority or expertise was he bringing to the table? As puzzling as this was, it also had me pondering my own issues with platforms such as Instagram, YouTube and the delightfully imbecilic TikTok. 
Jack Munro had all the qualifications necessary to post recipes and cooking advice for the less well-off. She had suffered extreme poverty first-hand and was a published author of cookbooks. Kevin, on the other hand, his main qualifications appeared to be a rudimentary command of the camera on his phone, coupled with a hard-boiled ignorance of social deprivation, lightly seasoned with bigotry. I can spare you the time in looking him up, because most of his posts are about living the good life, whilst making the odd sneering comment about those who are less well-off. Come on, we've all done it. Okay, maybe not, but for me, this is one of the most unfathomable aspects of how social media works. Call me pernickety if you want, but I doubt the poor needs Kevin's peculiar culinary advice. One imagines that if you're queuing at the food bank, reading his Instagram timeline is unlikely to improve your day. Another question I found myself asking was, who is this audience? To put it bluntly, what type of person is going to connect with this drivel and smash that like and share button? I can only guess. Could it be the same bunch of suburban curtain-twitching that voted to deport desperate refugees to Rwanda for processing? Anyway, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Those of you who know me may be aware that I have a book out, Permissive Inc., a mystery thriller set in Spain and London. There's a second underway, which is why I've burdened myself with the challenge of a better understanding of social media. I started YouTube and Instagram accounts to market the podcasts, but then I realised that these visual platforms are not ideal for written and verbal communication. Ah, that's where I'm clever, because I also play guitar. People will be amazed when they hear my lyrical renditions of the great guitar classics. They will fall in love with my narration and interpretation of Tarega and Bilo Lobos, and then maybe, just ever so slightly maybe, buy my book. Well, a man can dream, can't he? I pressed on and posted a video trailer for the book, and a few guitar recordings, including the main themes for the podcast, all shorter than a minute or two, because people can become bored quickly. There are a zillion beautiful pneumatic women that post short musical extracts on Instagram. Their timeline is full of, oh, look at me. Oh, and by the way, I'm super sexy and just happen to be a virtuoso guitarist. Did I mention I juggle and have a black belt in karate? Well, slap me down with a wet kipper if that isn't exactly like myself. Except I'm a bit old, probably not as good a guitarist as I think, and have been told by my wife she didn't marry me for my good looks. Besides, I love to play jazz and apparently that's so yesterday. I became aware of this specific shortcoming after watching an Indian drama called The Family Man. The main protagonist, Shrikant Tawari, has an eight-year-old son who is rather keen on music. The boy attends a school in Mumbai run by nuns, so we must assume a semi-privileged lifestyle. His headmistress, a feisty nun, head nuns nearly always are, is pleading with the father. Normally, 
We like to encourage children to play musical instrument, but in your son's case, it may be best if he stopped. In the next scene, the boy is with his dad being driven home from school. He has with him a soprano saxophone, an instrument which I concede is not universally considered easy listening. The young lad is playing what could be tactfully described as progressive jazz. The father turns to him and says, If you blow any harder, you'll shit yourself. The boy is not discouraged and asks him to name a song from any film and he will play it. Dad obliges by requesting a Bollywood musical hit. The boy looks mystified. What the hell is that? His dad replies, Promise me you will never say that in company. People will laugh at you. After seeing this, I concluded that the real problem with music and nearly all the creative arts is generational. One generation does not easily appreciate the culture of the previous. However, it is much worse than that. I'll cycle back to that in a minute. So, what has this to do with Jack and Kevin's Twitter spat and my own difficulties with social media? There is a feeling amongst the baby boomer generation that hard work and talent matter. We should strive to develop our skills if we are to be rewarded with an audience. This, of course, is utter poppycock. Ooh, uh, are you allowed to say cock? Sit back down, Kevin. It's a matter of context, and I can't stress enough how much it pains me to say this. It is also totally flawed logic, especially when it comes to social media. In my previous podcast, episode 15, Specs, Drugs and Sausage Rolls, I gave the example of how some of the biggest dimwits in UK politics had made it to the upper echelons of government. Not because they were talented, but simply because they were willing to do or say whatever was required to hold the office. Sure, some remarkable people strut their stuff on Instagram, but you're more likely to find the platform dominated by shallow narcissists showing off their good looks, cute bum or nice legs. Many of them dance, even the blokes. It's not just teen girls who stare vacantly into the lens and it really doesn't matter if you're not that good looking. There are always filters. Just as an aside, whilst we're talking about this whole filters thing, your facial features have nothing to do with talent. It's just down to genetics and if you use filters to enhance them, you are projecting a falsehood. At a subconscious level, you are saying to yourself and others, I'm not good enough. But here's my point. Whilst I'm okay with the idea that people may want a quick thrill, I'm now starting to worry about what this is all doing to our brains. It feels as if the whole world is slipping down a rabbit hole of inadequacy and that the child born out of this unholy wedlock is self-serving, shallow populism. I fear that our attention span is becoming exponentially shorter. We view videos for a few seconds, then swipe to the next. The platforms encourage this, and even YouTube has started the same with YouTube Shorts. The clue is in the title, Insta, as in Instagram, Shorts, as in not long-lasting. It is all about instant gratification. Unless we can get that dopamine hit, we move on. It's as if the whole generation has become addicted, searching for that next fix. Only it needs to be stronger and faster to achieve the same high as before. Social media hubs know this 
and are using metrics to measure how long we spend looking at each post or advert before swiping to the next. They measure our reaction and have learned that the engagement process has a short window indeed. They harvest your personal data so that they can sell it to the marketing companies who will use it to sell you exciting products such as funeral plans, junk food delivery services and private health insurance. Leaving aside any moral justification, this is a big problem, especially if you create music or write books or host a 30-minute podcast once or twice a month. It's insufficiently instant and will be passed over. So what material are content providers expected to produce that is so cherished? Well, sex, obviously, but it doesn't matter if you're hopelessly unsexy as long as you combine your performance with a few seconds of unadulterated banality. A bit like Kevin. Oh, I don't like to think too hard, but, well, poor people, they're a bit annoying, aren't they? Tweet. This is all there is now. Forget a great classical guitarist playing the cadenza from Rodrigo's magnificent Concerto da Rangweth if it takes longer than five seconds and you're not a beautiful East European 18-year-old with legs up to armpits. Swipe. I saw one Instagram video of a girl eating a bag of crisps. She was considered an influencer and had about a million likes. Mercifully, the video was short. They're always short. One possible answer to the question, how do I get the Instagram TikTok generation to listen or read my stuff, could be just to give it away. As long as the platform that hosts it can make money leeching off your freely provided talent, get used to it. You are a content provider, a nothing, and of equal and lesser value than those that do little dances in tight pants while scoffing snacks. Don't even think of asking for money, because we have bags of content providers eating bags of sodding crisps. Oh, here's the microphone I use to record my farts. How many dishwasher tablets can I shove in my gob before I vomit? Oh, I stuck toothpaste on my willy. Oh, I stuck a firework up my ass. Ah! Don't forget to like and subscribe for more big jug dancing, tight pants, snack scoffing, venal stupidity. Cut. No filters were applied in the making of this article. You are listening to the Al Morton Takeout, episode 16, Running with Trolls and Scoffing Crisps. You can find out more about this podcast including music and production credits by visiting the website almorton.com forward slash takeout. Right, it's time to revisit those cultural differences. However, before I do, I wanted to share an addendum to a story from the last episode, number 15, I told the story of the rare Moriscan bear that broke into an Italian bakery. Juan Carito, as he's affectionately known, had started to make a bit of a nuisance of himself with all his bin rummaging antics and random visits to the local bakery. He was eventually captured and taken to a sanctuary 150 kilometres away. Here, he spent quite a few weeks learning to be wild again. Born to be wild.
It was all going rather well until one day he just disappeared. No, he wasn't abducted by aliens. It's just that he decided that he preferred the food that was on offer in his hometown of Rocarasso. He turned up outside of the station, having apparently walked all the way, although I'm personally suspicious that he may have taken the train. I mean, really, who's going to argue with a hungry bear? I did find myself wondering if Carito hadn't read some of the Paddington Bear stories. I'm guessing that as a bear, the train would have been the preferred method of transport, although marmalade sandwiches and the concept of buying a ticket may have proven to be a bit tricky. I can see it now. The inspector is busy checking tickets in the aisle when he meets Carito. He clearly does not belong in first class. He has already shredded his copy of the complimentary newspaper and has started to hassle one of the passengers who has a hat he's rather taken a shine to. A ticket, sir, please. Shouldn't you be in a baggage car? Trenitalia, don't allow animals in the first class or second for that matter. Do you even have a ticket? I've taken the liberty of translating for the bear. Eh, what are you on about? You think of this hat? It'll make my bum look big. No, it is your big, fat, hairy ass that is making your bum look big. Now show me your ticket, or I'll get the hell back to the baggage car. There's a buffet car. I don't know, see it. Ah, do they have those delicious little biscuits from Dolce Momenti? At this point, the guard is starting to lose patience, and some of the passengers are becoming a little agitated. Throw him off of the train, they shout. Suddenly, Carito notices a woman eating a rather nice-looking sandwich and snatches it from her. Apparently, they're not big on table etiquette at Bear Rewilding School. Yum. It is a smoker salmon, no? Hmm. Bond, I think. Are you a Noah got a whaled salmon from Alaska? The guard has heard enough. Okay, that is it. You are a-going. And with that, he grabs Carito by the ear and tries to drag him to the baggage car. But Carito has other ideas. He pulls the emergency communication cord whilst the train is in a tunnel. continued. I'm feeling quite pleased with myself as I've almost managed to go a whole podcast without saying anything too political, apart from that thing about the dimwits around Prime Minister Johnson's cabinet table. I may have mentioned that, but I think I got away with it. I managed to completely not mention Nadine Doris, Secretary of State for Culture. I still can't bring myself to say that. Being a living example of what happens when a ventriloquist dies and the dummy keeps on talking. Oh, and there's Partygate and Porngate. Let's not mention them. <laughs> Although I did enjoy a tweet by Glennie Roger about a porn actor who claimed to have been fired because he was viewing Prime Minister's questions when he was supposed to be on the job. Oh, don't complain. It's perfectly normal. Everyone's at it. It's all the fault of that Angela Rayner on the opposite benches of the House of Commons. 
crossing and uncrossing her legs in front of Boris Johnson and putting him off his stroke when he was trying to lie about something important. But what I'm most proud of not mentioning is the dreaded B word. That's right, Brexit. You see, not a word, nada. But in the interest of balance, I thought it only right to give the floor over to Jacob Rees-Mogg, the haunted pencil of Brexit opportunities, so that he can show us what a success it's all going to be in 50 years' time. So much winning, and unfortunately he wasn't able to make it due to being stuck in a traffic jam near the port of Dover, so instead it's down to Alan Posson, a former Bank of England policymaker, who in an interview with Bloomberg said that 80% of the UK inflation is entirely down to Brexit. One article that caught my eye came from that great bastion of British pragmatism, the Daily Mail, although it was also covered in the mirror, along with a version for express readers with all the big words removed. The headline ran, I can't get to work. British expats fury after they are banned from driving in Spain. I think the Daily Mail's capstock key has got stuck. The headline goes on to say, they will have to pay up to £1,100 to take a test! Triple exclamation mark. Is it just me, or are Daily Mail readers always so furious? In fact, I'm wondering if there is anything that they're not furious about. I can see it now. British expat furious on discovering the menu in Benidorm Fish and Chip Bar is in Spanish, plus outrage that Sports Bar does not sell Carlsberg Lager. Anyway, I digress. The article goes on to say that Spain is being completely unreasonable and that every other European country recognises the superior driving standards of British drivers and their DVLA licence. I didn't see any mention of the new dumb-damn HGV test, but one imagines that there must still be a few lorry drivers who don't mind spending 36 hours of driving time sat in their cabs in a queue waiting to board the ferry from Dover. Anyway, all this definitely has nothing to do with Brexit. It was probably caused by either Covid, the evil empire of the EU, or Keir Starmer having a curry at a constituency meeting. The Mail doesn't mention if his wife or interior decorator was present, or whether or not it was a bring a bottle or a suitcase of booze event with a karaoke DJ. Oh well, I suppose if there was wrongdoing, he would resign, just like Johnson didn't. Incidentally, the uh, image that accompanied the Mail article was of Keir Starmer having the offending curry, except they had carefully cut the image to remove Frank Dobson, who died in 2019. My point about all this Porsche outrage is that expat residents in Spain have had over six years to exchange their driving licences for Spanish-European versions. It's hardly Spain's fault that Britain decided to turn its back on Europe. You reap what you sow, and if you plant division, it can be a bitter harvest. From my own perspective, Spain have been completely reasonable. Even if you apply for residency now, there's still a six-month window from being accepted in which to take a Spanish driving test. And as to the cost of taking the test, if you have sufficient income to be granted residential status in Spain post-Brexit, 
you can afford to take the Spanish test. I should mention that it is quite a challenging exam. But we're British. We once ruled the entire world. Well, a big bit of it anyway. As I understand it, Spain waited to see how the UK would treat Spanish nationals who apply for residency in the UK and then simply reciprocated with the same. So I think we can ease up on all this outrage. I'm going to move on from politics in a minute, but before I do, I just wanted to revisit the story about the member, if I can call him that, who was caught enjoying porn in the chamber. The shutter! Order! Order! He turned out to be none other than Neil Quentin Gordon Parrish, the honourable member for Tiverton and Honiton. When asked if he'd been watching pornography on his phone, he allegedly replied, Of course not. I prefer it on the tablet. It's got a much bigger screen, you know. Let's start off as we need to go on. To his credit, he did try and tough it out, using the now familiar Johnson tactic of reporting himself to the Standards Committee. Um, yes, well, when, when they report back, um, I will comment on whether or not I was watching porn. It would have been better if he just stuck his hand up straight away, although there have been far too many reports of MPs doing exactly that to some of their female colleagues. It's no laughing matter. Instead, he doubled down by claiming he'd simply been searching for tractors. This had me wondering what that old repository of ethical wisdom Twitter might have to say on the matter. Prepare to be shocked and amazed. And before I go on, yes, filters have been applied. First up comes from Graham Pointer, who tweets, I guess Neil Parrish won't be watching online for tractors ever again. He'll avoid them. He'll be an ex-tractor fan. June Lewins tweets, Neil Parrish's wife has just given him a John Deere letter. It's either me or the tractors. I may have to cut that. Scottish Sands tweeted an image from what I believe is a little Britain characterization of a Tory MP with his wife reading out a statement to the press. Whilst following up a constituency inquiry regarding ploughing, I accidentally googled a website that showed a form of ploughing I was hitherto unfamiliar with. I was amazed to find this was porn, as the opening credits said that it featured a massive Ferguson. I really like this one from Starting Tractors, which appeared to be a farm equipment supply company. They posted an image of a fleet of their shiny new tractors. The tweet says, If while trawling through Twitter, one accidentally slips and comes across Starting Tractors, I would like to point out that we are a specialist site offering incredible tractors for sale. What you do with them is your business. Brenda tweets, I was asked if I'd seen the tractor porn Neil Parrish was looking at. (laughs) I said no, but I have seen the trailer. However, my favourite is a cartoon from The Telegraph by Blower. It is a lovingly recreated scene from the sleazy red light district to Soho. There are XXX neon signs everywhere. They say things like tractors, hose, engine stripped. One particularly seedy club has a picture of a big red tractor and it says gorgeous topless models. There's a furtive looking East End gangster type in the doorway next to a sign that says 
MPs free entry. <laughs> right, this is definitely the last one. It's a tweet by Idsbis Bopt. I hope I pronounced that right. She has a pink flower in her bio, which I think means she's an anti-vaxxer. She tweets, Someone told me that Neil's explanation is quite plausible. He left this in the chamber one time. It looks like one of those old how-to ladybird books with a vintage red tractor on the front cover and a ruddy-faced farmer in dungarees who looks uncannily like Marc Francois. He has his arm around the front of it. The title is Old Tractors and the Men That F*** Them. The subtitle being How to Keep Your Tractors Happy and Your Family Running. Before I go, I thought I'd read you this quick extract from the Suffolk Gazette. It's, it's quite old, but it just shows that when you do these podcasts, you never know what rabbit hole you're going to end up going down. The headline is, Suffolk man had sex with 450 tractors. <laughs> By you done it, crime correspondent. A Suffolk man with a bizarre sexual attraction to tractors has been banned from the countryside and forced to sign the sex offenders register. Ralph Bishop, 53, was found by police with his trousers round by his ankles, interfering with a tractor parked in a field outside of Saxmundham. I suppose it gives new meaning to the term bashing the bishop. He was arrested on suspicion of outraging public decency and admitted to having sex with around 450 tractors all over the Suffolk countryside. When officers searched his terraced home, they found a collection of more than 5,000 tractor images on his laptop. (laughs) I can't think of anything more damning. The photos showed Bishop had a special desire for John Deere and Massey Ferguson tractors, particularly green ones. (laughs) And then there's a picture of this uh, green John Deere tractor, and underneath it says, Object of Desire. (laughs) A police insider said... We couldn't believe it when we found him in the field. He was wearing a white t-shirt and Wellington boots and very little else. (laughs) He was clearly in a state of high excitement at the rear of the machine. Thankfully, nobody else was around, but the field is close to a village primary school, so we had to arrest him and educate him about the error of his ways. So there you go. I'm going to leave you with that thought and then maybe uh, we'll meet up again. (laughs) Speak to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. He was clearly in a state of high excitement at the rear of the machine. Rear of the machine. Special thanks to my editor, Heather Margaret. And of course, as always, you can find out more about this podcast on almorton.com forward slash takeout this podcast was written performed and produced by all more <laughs>